Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today we continue to read from First and Second Timothy. There are two lessons in your uh, bulletin, your order of worship, uh, one from Second Timothy and then one uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And so I invite you to follow along uh, if you want to read it off the, the screen or out of the bulletin. Some of you may have brought your own Bible and choose to turn to those selections. H- however you take it in this morning, I invite you to hear these holy words of Scripture, beginning with the Second Timothy 3, verse 10. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my suffering, the things that happened in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And then from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18, hear these words from Jesus. So then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by coming continually to me. And so the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant them. And yet when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen, Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, it is with gratitude in our hearts that we gather to worship today as we look around this room seeing familiar and friendly faces. We give thanks for the fellowship, the communion shared here together. As we lift our voices in song, we are reminded by by the work of your Spirit that you have called us into communion not only with one another but with you as well. As we share our gifts and the offering, as we share our gifts of time and energy and resources, we're reminded that it is a blessing to be together in this ministry here at this church. As we gather now around these sacred words, these words of Scripture, we ask that your Spirit would speak through these words as they have been read. We ask that you would speak through perhaps my words so that these, your people today, would better know you, would come to follow you more closely would have their lives changed for the good according to your will. This is our hope and our prayer this morning. Amen. All right, I was working on my sermon a lot this week, uh, even up until yesterday a little bit. I was really struggling for a, an image, a metaphor to begin worship with, to begin the sermon with. And so this is going to be kind of a curveball. All right, Chase, did you think this worked at 8 o'clock? 
It was okay. Yeah, all right. So we're going to give it a shot in here at 9. If it doesn't work at 9, I may scrap it by the time we get to 11, okay? All right, something you may not know about men's dress shirts. All right, I told you this was going to be weird. Something you may not know about men's dress shirts, if you don't wear them often, is that there are two types of collars on a men's dress shirt. Now, most of the men in here probably know this. Your collar either buttons down, and that's kind of the typical standard, a button-down collar on an Oxford shirt. But there are some dress shirts where the collar doesn't button down, and it may be called a spread collar or a pinpoint collar, and we often wear those in dressier occasions or like when we wear a tie. So far, so good? Is this making sense? But occasionally, you have a spread collar shirt that really does not cooperate with you very well, and it just takes on a life of its own, and it like flies around, and it's kind of like a 70s disco shirt, and it just starts spreading out, and you feel like you're out of control when you wear it. Have you had this experience, men, sometimes? All right, I've got a trick for you. There are these things called magnetic collar stays, and they're so wonderful. They slide in your collar, just like a regular plastic collar stay, but on the back is this tiny little magnet. It's about as big as my pinky fingernail, but it is so strong. And boy, you can just drop it in there. Boop. Did you hear it? Lock in. And then it holds your collar down all day. Have you, have you used these before, any of you? Gene is nodding at me. He knows the drill. He used to wear these dress shirts every day. He doesn't have to anymore. Thank goodness, right? Magnetic collar stays. These are a lifesaver when you're having one of those weird shirt days that don't cooperate with you. If you have a man in your life who wears shirts like that, here's a great Christmas gift idea. If that doesn't work for you, you're probably a little more familiar with name tags. Almost all of us in our professional life now wear these magnetic name tags, and that magnet is so strong, right? Once you get it on your shirt or your blazer or on your jacket, it pretty well stays fit all day. So I want to think with you a little bit about those magnets and the way in which they can be helpful resources for holding things together, whether you've got a wild men's dress shirt or just a name tag on the front of your shirt or on your jacket. Magnets, of course, are incredibly important in our world. We use them for so many different things in engineering applications and fashion applications. And really big magnets, of course, can be quite, quite powerful, right? So much so that if you were to get your finger between a couple of really strong magnets, you could pinch your finger, you could even break your finger. Of course, that gravitation, that pull, that magnetic pull between them, not gravitational, but that magnetic pull between them uh, is not something we entirely control, right? It's not something we can see. It's not really something we can manipulate, but we can sometimes use it to our good, to our advantage, including holding our collars in place. Now hang on to that idea. We'll try to circle back to that a little bit closer to the end. Today we continue to read from 2 Timothy. We've been reading from 1 and 2 Timothy. We're going to do that again next week. Last, next week will be All Saints Sunday, and so we'll finish with where Paul finishes in 2 Timothy. And so today we're almost near the end. Uh, Paul is wrapping up this second letter. And also, we believe that Paul is probably kind of wrapping up his ministry, if not his entire life. He's probably at the end of his life. Much of his ministry has been recorded in books like Acts or has been referred to in some of his other letters. And we believe First and Second Timothy were written much later. Later in Paul's life, later in Paul's ministry, he's sort of handing off the baton to Timothy. And in so doing, he's reflecting on his own life, and he's encouraging Timothy that this is how it's going to be, right? To be in the church, to be involved in the leadership of the church. And so we're reading Paul's testimony about his own life and his own ministry. And so you heard these words just a moment ago as I was reading them to you, where Paul says, You have seen me, Timothy, my whole life. You have seen my, my ministry. You have seen my patience. You've seen my love. You've seen my steadfastness. It, it almost sounds like there at the beginning of verse 10, that Paul is, is, is almost bragging on himself, right? He's sort of offering his resume to Timothy, saying, Timothy, you've seen all the, 
all the work I've done, the way in which I've lived, the way in which faith has shaped me, you have seen the way in which Christ has been at work in me, and it's mostly good things. And then Paul shifts and he says, and you have seen my suffering and you've seen my persecution. You've seen my suffering and you've seen my persecution. And then he lists a few cities there, Iconium and Antioch and Lystra. These are, these are cities that are referred to in Acts 13 and 14. And so we can kind of match up the stories in Acts with Paul's own writing where in those cities Paul went to preach and teach, but he was turned away, sometimes beaten, sometimes imprisoned. And so we have these very real stories about the challenges that Paul's faced in his own life, including in his public ministry. But then notice how Paul describes his, his life. It's not his own resume, it's not his own successes, it's not his strengths, it's not his victories. What he says there about his life, right? You've seen my life, my love, my patience, my steadfastness. You've seen my suffering and my persecution. And then Paul says, and the Lord rescued me. And the Lord rescued me. This is sort of Paul's thesis about his own life. Presumably, he's at the end of his life, he's thinking about his ministry, he's thinking about all the challenges he's encountered, and, and, the, and the summative statement, what he says about his life is, the Lord rescued me. The Lord rescued me. Now, testimony is a good word, that's a good church word, and you may have grown up in a church, you may have been around a church where it was common for people to share their testimony, to talk about what God had done in their lives. In our church, in our tradition, at least in the, in the last few decades, we tend to be a little more bashful about that. We don't want to talk too much about ourselves. We don't want to seem like we're focusing on ourselves. But, but might it be good to, to follow in Paul's footsteps here, to tell one another, to talk about the ways in which our life has been good, but also the ways in which it has been difficult, the ways in which we've suffered unexpected losses, sickness, tragedy. It's easy to celebrate all the things that went well in our life, but what Paul's doing here is also naming all the hard times. And when he looks back on the hard times, he says, the Lord rescued me. He's kind of inviting us to maybe think about our lives in that way as well. Not just how have you succeeded, but where were the challenges and how did God see you through? Now he continues on with what I think is one of the, the real challenging lines in all of Scripture. In fact, as someone who you know, reads the Bible professionally, regularly prepares sermons, when I come across this line that Paul tells Timothy, it just kind of rocks me and, and sort of upsets me. He says there, you can highlight it in your bulletin, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul just sort of offers that as a fact. To Timothy, to those who were worshiping with Timothy, and even to us today, all who want to follow Jesus will be persecuted. Of course, Paul knows that to be true through his own life. Um, we know that to be true through historical records, including but beyond Scripture. To be a Christian in the first century, the second century in Rome, was to be willing to die. To be a Christian was to be willing to die. We read the stories of people like, uh, like Stephen in, in Acts where he is uh, stoned to death for giving his testimony for his faith in Jesus Christ. We have other stories like John the Baptist where, of course, he's terribly and, and painfully put to death in a, in a gruesome way. We have historical records beyond Scripture that, that testify to, to many of the early apostles were, were martyred and put to death, some on a cross like Jesus. 
So when Paul tells Timothy to follow Jesus is to be persecuted, that is true in the first century world, true in the second century world, and it makes me wonder, like, is that still true today in the same way? Well, no, no, not exactly, right? I don't feel persecuted in the way that Paul describes in the stories we hear in the first century in the scriptures, and why is that so? Well, I want to do just a little bit of teaching with you, as I like to do from time to time. The big change that happened in in church history occurs through Constantine the Great. He's a Roman emperor from 306 to 337. This is a really significant point in world history and in the history of the church. Constantine the Great is the first Roman authority, the first Roman figure who has an interest in Christianity and then converts and is baptized as an adult. It would be hard to overstate what a radical change this was, right? Christianity was a a minority movement among Jews meeting in homes. It was a, a movement with very little power, both political or economic. And in the early 300s, we have a Roman emperor, the same Roman authorities that have been been persecuting Christians, a Roman emperor becomes Christian. This is a huge deal, right? So whenever you have a Christian Roman emperor, things begin to change. Christianity begins to receive favor and attention than it didn't before. And in particular, you should kind of store this in your brain, the Edict of Milan in 313. This is the point where Constantine and other leaders meet and they write out this edict. They make a public proclamation that Christians will no longer be persecuted that they'll be accepted in public life and that their life of worship will be recognized as legitimate and appropriate. And you can read how they're, basically what they decided was, we want all the gods we can get on our side, right? We want all the gods we can get on our side. And if these Christians are, are right, then we want their God on our side as well. And so they agreed to quit persecuting Christians. Well, at that point, power, at least as we know it in the church and as we know it in the West, becomes to be shared by Christians. We have Christians in authority. We have Christians leading in the Roman offices. We have Christians leading across Europe. It's a very different experience in the modern Western world for Christians, largely beginning here in the early 300s. Now, we know that's not the case everywhere. There are still places across the the global east, places like Somalia or Afghanistan or uh, North Korea that are still places that are very dangerous for Christians. But those of us in here do not live in one of those places. Instead, we live in the global West. We live in the shadow of the Edict of Milan. We live in a world where Christians have largely experienced flourishing, power, and success, which leads me to some confusion when Paul says, to follow Jesus means you will be persecuted. To follow Jesus means you will be persecuted. That's just not the case for us in our modern world. Very few of us, if any, have known persecution like Paul describes or like he and Timothy would have experienced. Very few of us count our commitments to faith as life and death commitments. For most of us, to be a Christian in the global West, in the modern West, is simply to have another cultural commitment on our calendar, right? We're a member of clubs and activities and sports and events, and we go to church. Just one of the things we do. I'll offer that explanation to you because I think it helps to highlight there, there's an urgency about discipleship in the New Testament and in Paul's letters. There's an urgency about the lives in which they were living, the reality of following Jesus, the reality that to, to commit yourself to this way of life could mean to put your own life at risk. There's an urgency when we read the words of Scripture that well, it's really kind of hard for us to capture that in our modern world. 
And perhaps that's a good thing. I'm certainly happy that we're not being persecuted, that our lives are not in danger in the same way. I think that's good. But it does leave us to wonder, like, how do we regain some of that that first century energy? How do we take our lives of faith as serious as those early Christians did who were willing to, to die to follow Jesus? My sense is we don't face a, a, a sense of, of persecution or a fear. We kind of we face a, a spirit of disinterest or boredom, right? Church is just one of many things that we have been around a long time. But for first century Christians, it was quite a radical thing to follow Jesus. All right, Paul continues. As he's talking to Timothy about his own life, his own witness, his own testimony, he tells Timothy, it's likely that your life will be marked by similar challenges, right? I have been persecuted. I've been through terrible times of struggle and loss. Timothy, that's probably going to be the case for you as well as I hand off leadership to the church to you. And so what should you do, Timothy, in the face of these challenges? Well, here Paul offers this wonderful little phrase. He says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe and knowing from whom you learned it. Now, I just want you to think with me a little bit about the timeline that we're in. Jesus' death and resurrection around the year 30. Paul is in ministry for 10, 20, 30 years. This is maybe around the year 60 when he's writing this. Timothy is younger, right? Hasn't been his ministry in, as long. And so Timothy in, inherited the faith in a way that those very first believers did not. In fact, we have the story and, and, and we have the verses in 2 Timothy 1 where Paul t- tells Timothy, right, that I'm so happy for you. I know that you have received the faith. I want you to read these words with me. From your grandmother Lois and from your mother Eunice. From your grandmother Lois and from your mother Eunice. And so Paul tells Timothy, like, you have been given this gift. Not something you thought of on your own, not something you created, but it was because of your mother and your grandmother, You received this life of faith. And therefore, Timothy, as you face these trials and these persecutions and this suffering, you ought to continue in what you have learned and remember who taught you, in particular, your mother and your grandmother. So we see here, this is kind of the first option, the first opportunity where we see this kind of this kind of generational passing on. That Christianity in the first century, right, those early apostles, those who knew Jesus themselves, those who, like Paul, had had met Jesus in a particular way, but now there are coming to be believers who were not necessarily original apostles, but who have received the faith from someone else. And in fact, this is kind of the history of the whole church, right? How did any of us become Christians? Someone else told us about Jesus. And so Paul's words of, of, of encouragement to Timothy, they really ring true with, with us in a way that maybe they wouldn't have with those original apostles. What are you going to do when life gets hard, Paul says? You're going to remember what you learned. You're going to remember who taught you. And then he goes on. As you face challenges, as you face persecution, as you face struggles, you will remember from childhood how you were taught the sacred writings. I love that line. From childhood, you were taught the sacred writings. Timothy, raised by his mother and his grandmother, taught the sacred writings. And how they were able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Children do not magically become Christians. Children and youth become Christians because someone instructs them in the sacred writings. Someone tells them the stories of Scripture and tells them how Scripture speaks to and teaches them to follow Jesus. 
And then, of course, we have this famous line that many of you know, all Scripture is inspired by God, useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. Now, obviously, when Paul is writing, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, there is no New Testament like we have it today. This is the beginning of the church. The Gospels are just starting to be collected and written down. The letters of Paul and others are being written and shared. So there's no New Testament. There's no 27 books of the New Testament. So when Paul says the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings, it seems pretty obvious that he's referring to the Old Testament as we know it, the Hebrew Bible. This would have been the scriptures that Paul was familiar with, that Timothy and others were familiar with. And Paul says to continue to focus on the sacred writings, the the Old Testament, as they will help you to understand Christ Jesus. So Paul's doing a little theology there. If you read the Old Testament, if you read the books of history, if you read the Psalms, the Proverbs, if you read the prophets, they will point you toward Jesus. Now being so many centuries removed from the New Testament, we sort of take this lesson, this, this verbiage to be a, a celebration of all of Scripture. Paul was probably thinking about the Old Testament, but we generally think about all of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. When you face persecution and hardship and struggle, you ought to lean into what you've been taught, including the sacred Scriptures, knowing that in the Scriptures, you will come to better understand and follow Christ Jesus. So I'm going to go back to that magnet image for just a moment there seems to be two kind of kind of points that paul is making in verses 10 through 17 and i and i hope you've heard them clearly through my teaching the first point is this that paul himself has experienced persecution and struggle and yet the lord has rescued him and so we see in paul a sort of template for many of us Thankfully, we likely will not experience the sort of persecution that Paul knew or that other early Christians knew. But Paul says when you look across your life and you see the difficult times, the hard times, the really challenging moments, you likely will also see God at work in your life. It's fine to be successful on your own, to have your own sort of success story, but the real story of your life is the way in which the Lord rescued you. And Paul says, part of the Lord rescuing you, he's talking to Timothy, but he's also talking to us. Part of the Lord rescuing you is leaning into the faith that you were given. Remember what you were taught. Remember who taught you. Return again and again to the sacred writings, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, the scriptures inspired by God. And so I think if we, if we kind of take those two together, I mean, I think Paul's kind of point here is there's, there's an obvious, real serious relationship between life's struggles and challenges and difficulties and losses and frustrations and our spiritual growth. That it's often when things are tough, when we are at our weakest, when things are not going as we hoped they would, that's kind of when our hearts are opened up, when our minds are opened up, when the Holy Spirit can really, can really work on us. And I sense many of you would say something similar about your life. Certainly the good times are good, but it was in the hard times that you really leaned into your faith, where your faith really grew in you, when you returned again to Scripture and to prayer, when you remembered who taught you about God and who taught you about the salvation you have in Jesus Christ. And there's something of a sort of magnetic pool, right? That the harder life gets, the more likely we are to be drawn into our faith. And Paul says, that's good, that's okay. Allow that to happen. When things become difficult, Remember what you've learned. Remember who taught you. 
Return again to the sacred scriptures and writings and trust in your salvation in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the testimony of those like Paul. Though perhaps we look at his life's work and his life of faith, we see a spiritual giant. We are reminded that he has laid a groundwork for us as well. Not all of our life will be easy. Not all of our life will be straightforward or successful. Many in this room, God, many in our church family are experiencing a season of challenge and grief and disappointment, even as we worship today. God, we pray that in our times of struggle, we would be reminded of your goodness and grace, that we would be reminded of the faith that we have been taught, that we have received, that we'd be reminded of the love of Jesus that we learn about in the Holy Scriptures. God, speak to us once again your word of comfort, love, healing, and forgiveness. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.